We feel sorry for Millard, Smitch, and Nudka families, for they'll have to live with the shame and disgust of what their children have done or incited. For all of you who knew or suspected what Millard and Smitch had done to Laura and did not come forward earlier, we again say shame on you. Your inactions have indirectly led to two additional murders. For those of you who came forward and did the right thing, we wish you nothing but the best moving forward. For all those out there who believe that the sentence of an additional 25 years to Mr. Millard's 50 years is too harsh, we say you haven't dealt with this kind of sorrow. We live with a cloud of sadness and loss over us every day. Like all people who have lost a close loved one through tragedy, there will be not a day in our lives when the loss of Laura, Tim, or Wayne won't be felt. That is Clayton Babcock uh, speaking outside the court today after the verdict was handed down to ne- uh, Dylan Millard. You had just got a feel for them and the Bosmas, who are also there, and of course the extended uh, family of Wayne Millard, who has kind of been on, you know, not spoken about since this all started. It's always just been a passing kind of comment about Wayne Millard, but because we weren't allowed to talk about the details, you know, it was really only up until this trial that we started to realize what had happened. And the judge agreed today that Dellen Millard killed his own father for his money. And uh, I think Clayton also points out, which was an obvious from the Tim Bosma trial, and was my big takeaway during the trial, of all the people, all the hangers-on, that whole loser, pack of losers that hung around Della Millard and Mark Smith and looked the other way, never said a word, could have, certainly should have spoken up and said nothing. Now, I don't know where they are tonight, but I certainly hope when they look in the mirror, they realize that they were part of this carnage. It's a terrible, terrible Situation, But this was, in fact, a judge-alone trial, and it was a trial where only Mr. Millard was charged. Mark Smitch was not connected directly to this, but it is the last in a series of three trials of what would happen and what happened to Wayne Millard on 2012 in November. And it was initially ruled a suicide. He was shot through the eye, but it wouldn't be until Tim Bosma's kidnapping and murder that police would realize there were others out there. And eventually we would learn that it was Laura Babcock who was killed first, then Wayne Millard, and then as the thrill kills kept going, it would be Tim Bosma. And we know that Wayne was killed for his money. That money would fuel the thrill, the thrill kill, you know, bloodlust that Della Millard wanted to carry out against these young the one was a young, impressionable woman that he had took advantage of, and then a married father of one who simply wanted to sell his truck. Let's bring in Anne Brocklehurst. She has been uh, certainly a part of the trials, covering the first and second one, and parts of this one. She joins me now. Anne, you are the author of Dark Ambitions, a book that you wrote during the Tim Bosma trial, and now we have the full story on Della Millard. He is now Canada's one of Canada's serial killers. Yeah, we can finally talk about everything now. There was some stuff that was off limits until today, like the um, undercover police operation when Millard and Snitch um, 
were arrested for um, Laura Babcock's murder and Wayne Ballard's murder. And um, the police put all sorts of undercover cops in the paddy wagons and the jail cells with them. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that now we look back at, we can question. But let me start with the immediate. So the the ruling is um, read out this morning, the decision. What was his reaction? Uh, I mean, you, you we've seen him many, many times. What was his reaction and um, and his appearance like? He looked good. Um, he His appearance has changed dramatically over the years since he's been in jail and prison. But I have to say today he looked good, in good shape, um, relatively healthy, shorter hair. He seemed to me to be quite confident initially looking around the courtroom. And it was a judgment that lasted almost two hours. And yeah. the first third, I thought, hmm, maybe he's going to get off. And the second third, I thought, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen here. And by the third and final part, I was thinking, ooh, she's going to find him guilty. And you could see his demeanor change. He started to get angry. And he was looking at the judge with a sort of furrowed brow, like, I can't believe this is happening to me type look on his face. But he's a very bad actor, so it wasn't really convincing. Yeah, and he truly does think he did nothing wrong. So there's that. It's interesting you go on that roller coaster ride because watching the tweets going out, there was a lot of that, oh my God, is he going to get away with this? And when the verdict came down, it was, I think, the right, it was obviously the right verdict because you and I covered the first trial. So much of it we couldn't actually explain because the whole story was told backwards. And if it really weren't for Tim Bosma and the loss of Tim Bosma, what he went through, we would not even know about Wayne Millard. We certainly wouldn't know about Laura Babcock. It's a, it, it is a strange story to tell. Uh, it, it really is. And I mean, this brings home how... Um, how many problems there were with those initial uh, investigations into Laura Babcock's disappearance and Wayne Millard's sudden death. Well, yeah, because if it weren't, I mean, if they hadn't ruled Wayne Millard a suicide right out of the gates, had they, you know, been, I think, more thorough with the investigation, Tim Bosma may be alive today. Laura Babcock could very well be alive today. Well, Lord, remember, Laura Babcock, it's easy to get confused. Yeah, with before she died him. Yeah. before Wayne Millard. But the thing is, they never interviewed Dellen Millard for the, about Laura Babcock's disappearance, despite the fact that he was the last person she spoke to. They had his phone bills. Yeah. Her last eight, eight calls were to Dellen Millard. Now, imagine if they'd interviewed him. And then they went to see Wayne Millard and said, hey, you know, this guy, was, wasn't was he the one that was involved with that missing woman? Mm -hmm. So there Well, not to mention her men. boyfriend went to them and, and raised the red flags. Totally, totally. There were many missed opportunities here. So then what's your feeling on that? Do you get the sense that there'll be any kind of after uh, inquiry into what was missed? Uh, you know, not that they do much. We don't really see much that comes out of them. But is there any kind of appetite to find out what went wrong and could they have done things differently? So I think there is an investigation right now into how Toronto police or, or some kind of questioning of how Toronto police treat missing persons cases. Mm -hmm. And Laura Babcock is going to come up on that. On the Wayne Millard suicide, I mean, again, there were things, uh, you know, one of the sergeants, detectives at the scene, 
wanted to bring in homicide. A homicide cop was supposed to go and look at the crime scene the next day. He never went. A homicide cop right. was supposed to attend the autopsy of the body, never went. We've never heard why that homicide detective never did those two things. And we should find out. And for me, the feeling I get looking at these cases is it just seems like detective work, a lot of it is subjective and it's judgment call. Mm -hmm. And it seems too easy for one person in the Toronto police to shut down an investigation or a line of inquiry. And I don't understand why that happens. Certainly, because, you know, the Hamilton police, when you look at how they conducted the Tim Bosma, I mean, they acted immediately because normally an adult who goes missing, it would be kind of brushed off for a few days, but because the the, the circumstances of two strange men showing up, they instinctively knew, okay, we've got an abduction, we've got to act fast. They did everything right. But again, as we saw more and more doors open to the case, you, you can't help but think to yourself, if only they had been this proactive in the Toronto side of things, you know, the Bosma family today may be living a much different life. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely some missed opportunities there. And I I mean, it is true that Laura Babcock was leading a more high-risk lifestyle, but there were all sorts of irregularities there, too, that should have raised red flags. I mean, higher-risk lifestyle or not, she never, ever before had cut off contact with people. Um, so there are uh, there are a lot of questions to be asked, and even the Wayne Millard case. I mean, if you saw the photograph, and it, it yeah. hasn't been published, and rightly so, it shouldn't be published. But for those of us who were there in court and saw the photograph of Wayne Millard lying on his bed in the position in which he died, it was just the strangest position in which a person would shoot themselves. And that alone should have raised all sorts of questions. And yet, for some reason, it didn't. Yeah. And and remind me, did they even test Millard's hands? Didn't they not find gun, uh, you know, um, uh, powder on his hands? Or was it that it wasn't on Wayne Millard's hands? I can't remember right now. So I don't want to say... um, I don't want to answer that one because I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that that's okay. But I do recall that there was m- m- more than enough evidence to find the conviction on this. But nonetheless... Um, well, there there were things they didn't do. Like the coroner told them there was a... Originally said there was a 60 to 70% chance, or he believed that it was... 60 to 70 percent suicide, which means 30 to 40 percent murder. That's a pretty big percentage. And that was the night that they found Wayne Millard's body. Mm -hmm. But then miraculously, the next day, no one moved forward on that, despite a sergeant at the scene thinking things were suspicious, notifying homicide, trying to get homicide to to go there. They didn't even seize like the pillowcase, the bedding, the the bag in which the gun was found. And I I mean, thank goodness that the crime scenes officer there who sort of does the CSI stuff took the gun and followed all the procedures with that. Now, it wasn't up to him to seize the other things like the pillowcase, et cetera, because the crime scene should have remained intact until the homicide detective arrived. So, I mean, thank goodness that one officer did do everything by the book that he was supposed to do. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't think we'd have any answers in Wayne Mallard. And, and the thing that bugged me uh, about this is that 
Laura Babcock and Wayne Millard were really kind of afterthoughts in the whole thing, you know, because Laura was just cast off as some troubled teen, you know, living on the wrong side of the, of, um, you know, of what she should have been doing. And then Wayne Millard was just some rich guy who got, you know, shot. There was not a lot of empathy. And there's two families really that kind of had to go through this whole thing and wait till a conclusion to be able to finally tell their story. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting scenario because, I mean, the Crown couldn't really argue at yeah. the Wayne Millard case that Toronto police had been incompetent because yep. that never looks good, especially when a lot of your witnesses are Toronto police. So their main line of argument was that the police were maled by Millard and his mother, who told them who were there at the scene, who told them Wayne Millard was depressed, his business was in trouble. And for that reason, they said it was suicide and they didn't have the evidence before you, um, the judge was told that you have. So they really played up that element. And Pillay also couldn't go with saying, well, the cops really did a bad job because his argument, Pillay is Millard's lawyer, his argument, of course, was, well, they made the right decision. He, he did yeah. kill himself. So at the trial, you know, even though it was coming out that this was a really problematic, to be kind, investigation, no one could really say, wow, those cops really screwed up. But I'll say it now, wow, those cops really screwed up. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, a number of families now left to pick up the pieces, including the Bosmas who came in today, including the Babcocks, again, who came in today to show support. Um, not surprised at all about the Bosmas because it's just who they are, and, and they will be bonded with uh, the Babcock family forever uh, over their loss. Did they say anything? Did you t- did you get a chance to talk to them? Um, I just said hello to the Bosmas, and then the Babcock family made the statement. Yeah. The Bosmas stood beside them. It was um, Clayton Babcock, Laura's father, who... who um, read out the statement and then the two families walked out off together and I thought oh my god you know they're both such you know nice yeah. families that you could just never imagine something like this something so tragic happening to them and I thought what a strange thing you know to be brought together and over something like this it's just so unimaginable on so many levels thrill kills you know, they're so unique in this country, and this is what this was in the end, and uh, just terrible. And thank you. You're welcome. Ann Brocklehurst, you can read her book, Dark Ambitions. You can find that online, still likely in um, in bookstores. But yeah, just a, a chapter that is ready to close for the family's sake, for sure. Quick break here at 918, and when we come back.